Father, we just bless your name. We thank you for who you are, and we love you. We adore you. We ask that you speak to us in this place. Grant that we hear you and open up our minds to the truth of your word. In Jesus' mighty, majestic, and matchless name we pray. Amen. Well, tonight I want to lift, lift up again with you. Uh, our theme has been living faith in stressful times. This is part 17. And uh, I want to lift this up because we enter into a text tonight that is one of the most difficult to read, difficult to understand, difficult to follow. Um, it, it was once referred to by Phyllis Tribble, a, a wonderful um, uh, biblical scholar, as one of the texts of terror, texts of terror. And as such, because of the way in which the woman in the text, Dinah, is treated, and because of that, we enter into it with uh, kind of an eye trying to see what's going on in the text and see what God is saying to us and uh, try to understand biblical writings a little more in depth. It's a difficult text because the characters in the text, exception of Dinah, uh, I have very little um, uh, positive about them. They are, they are people who have who do something that I think is egregious, and um, those around them participate in their aggression and in their, their ignorance, and uh, it's, a, it's a rough text. And that text is found in Genesis 34. What I'm gonna do tonight is I wanna read a chunk of the scriptures, and then we're gonna go and look at our modern day interpretation of it and how we would view it. And then I wanna talk a little bit about the way the Jewish community took this text and the way Midrash has accepted the text versus probably the way we should really be looking at it. So it's gonna be sort of a three perspective examination of Genesis 34. Genesis 34, and I'm reading from the Amplified version only because it kind of opens up the text a little more to us. So Genesis 34, beginning of verse one, read down the first chunk, I'm gonna read it one through 19, I believe. So stay with me. If you have read it already, great. If you haven't, please go back and read it all because I'm going to skip another significant portion to get to the end. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had bore to Jacob, went out unescorted to visit the girls of the land. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Havite, prince of Shech of the land, saw her, he kidnapped her and lay intimately with her by force, humbling her and defending her. But his soul longed for her and cleaved to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke comfortingly to her young heart's wishes. So Shechem said to his father, Hamor, get me this, woman, this young woman as a wife. Now Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled, violated Dinah, his daughter, but his sons were in the field with his livestock. So Jacob said nothing until they came in. But Shechem's father, Hamor, went to Jacob to talk with him. Now when Jacob's sons heard of it, they came in from the field, they were deeply grieved, and they were very angry, for Shechem had done a disgraceful thing to Israel by laying with Jacob's daughter, for such thing is not to be done. But Hamor conferred with them, saying, the soul of my son Shechem deeply longs for your daughter and sister. Please give her to him as his wife. And beyond that, intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us as wives. Take our daughters for yourselves. 
In this way you shall live with us. The country will be open to you, live and do business in it, and acquire property possessions in it. Shechem also said to Dinah's father and to her brothers, let me find favor in your sight, and I will give you whatever you ask. Demand of me a very large bridal payment as a gift and compensation for giving up your daughter and sister, and I will give you whatever you tell me. Only give me the girl to be my wife. Jacob's sons answered, and Shechem and Hamor his father deceitfully, because Shechem had defiled and disgraced their sister Dinah. They said to them, we cannot do this thing, give our sister in marriage to one who is not circumcised, because that would be a disgrace to us. But we will consent to you only on this condition, if you will become like us, and that every male among you consents to be circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you in marriage, and we will take your daughters for ourselves, and we will live with you and become one people. But if you do not listen to us and refuse to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter Dinah and go home. Their words seemed reasonable to Hamor and his son Shechem, and the young man did not hesitate to do required thing, for he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was more respected and honored than all, and in the household of his father. Wow. Let's see if we can make this thing live and talk through it for a moment. Interestingly enough, what you see in the text now is that this young man sees this woman and she is not of his own tribe and he looks at Dinah and he wants to be with her she is out there, the, the Amplified Version used the word unescorted. So he's out there, with the, out there walking through the land. And in this case, she is visiting the other women there. She went out to visit the girls from the land. She goes out. And as she's there, she is taken by force by Shechem, son of Hamor. He takes her and he brings her into his place. Now, we know that she's taken by force, but the text also offers up something else about him speaking sweetly or comfortingly to her heart's wishes, which almost intimates something different there. The problems in the text start at the very beginning. Shechem takes her. That's without a doubt. And there's no reason for us to think anything else. This is unequivocally rape. It is, it is assault. It is a sexual assault. It is sexual perversion. It is rape. He rapes her. Now the fact that he, she may have liked him, the fact that she may have winked at him, the fact that she walked out unescorted should have nothing to do with us being able to say unequivocally, this man took her against her will. She may have wanted to hang out with the women of the other community, with the Havites, but she didn't go there to be raped. She didn't go there to be sexually assaulted. She didn't go there to lay down. She went there to hang out. She went there to see. She went to be around and she ended up getting raped. Now, the fact that she may have, at some point, caught feelings for Shechem should not diminish 
the act that takes place. But what happens with these young men when they come in? Her brothers, when they come in and they hear of it, notice, if you will, Jacob is silent until they come back, knowing that his strength is in them and not alone. So he doesn't go off until they get there. And when they come back, that's when he begins to deal with the situation. He's silent until then. They come in, and he starts to handle the, the situation. Now, they want to handle it the way things get handled in those areas. If you defile someone and you marry them, maybe we can make an alliance and an agreement. The defilement is over. I'm sorry it happened. We started that way, but I would love for her to be my wife. I want to be her husband. I want to take care of her. You can ask me any dowry you want. Ask me any amount of money you want. I'm willing to go with it. Just, just tell me what it will take to make her my wife. Now, that in and of itself is a manner in which they want to try to make up for that which was taken by force. And they want to compensate this egregious act. They want to compensate it with a dowry, with money, with a gift, with, with an abundance. Ask me whatever you will. You can't ask a number too large. I am the shake of this area. I am I, I'm, I'm my father's somebody. I'm somebody. We will give you whatever you desire. Now that's good on the surface. But the children of Israel, these, these children of Jacob's, they have something else in mind. And that is the issue of not intermarrying with other people. And so, recognizing they're not to intermarry, they use that thing as an excuse to go forward and to then go and say, well, we can't, we can't give our sister to you because you're not like us. So they take now what is the blessing and the distinctive of Israel that is the circumcision. That is the removal of the foreskin from the male body part. They take the distinctive of Israel, that is to demonstrate their blessing, their position in God. They take that distinctive and use it as a ploy to get the men of the, of the Havites to go ahead and to be circumcised. Now, this is, this is some, some dastardly kind of stuff. They take this and they say, well, we can't do that because you're not like us. But if you will, if you become like us, then maybe we can make an alliance. Maybe we can make an agreement. Maybe we can do something with you. Maybe we can, maybe we can work this out if you become circumcised. Now here's where the thing gets really sticky. The text dropping down in the text to verse 25. By verse 25, of course, they go back to all the rest of the men of the area. It's not just his household. They're not asking just Shechem to be, to be done. They're asking Hamor and every other man in the city, every man of the part of their community to be circumcised. 
And they agreed. They agreed to it. They agreed to a dowry. They agreed to what's going to happen. And when they agree, they go forward for circumcision. Now, the Bible says in verse 25, now on the third day, that's after the circumcision, when all the men were terribly sore and in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's full brothers, took their swords and boldly entered the city without anyone suspecting them of evil intent, and they killed every male. Full stop. Let's work on this now. I don't know, when I was in um, school back in 1979, I think it was, I was in Selma University in Selma, Alabama. One of my um, classmates, uh, an adult, by then an adult male, maybe close to 20 years old, 19, 20 years old, he, he, his doctor suggested uh, that even though he had not been circumcised as a child, he really should be circumcised then as an adult. And he went to have circumcision done. Now, I can only tell you from his experience that when I saw him, I've never seen a man look more pitiful in my life. Not only, not only did he look like he had lost his best friend, but he was, he was sweating, he was in tears, he was in pain. He, was in, he said it was the worst pain of his life. He said there was nothing to be compared to that pain. I can only imagine three days after the soreness is set in, three days after the pain of the new growth is starting to happen and the wound is starting to heal in a place where that gets moisture. I'm trying not to be too graphic, but you can try to figure out where I'm going with this. You can imagine in the arid desert, it's hot. You're sweaty, and I've got, I've been cut, they're in pain, and every man had it done at the same time. Now watch this, watch this. This is really, this is really wild. When the Jews do it, they usually do it on the eighth day. That's eighth day after birth. And they do it with an entire ceremony. There's nothing in the text that said they offered them a ceremony. There's nothing in the text that said they said, you know, this is a part of your proselytizing into Judaism or into, into our group or into the Israelite family or whatever as we are now part of Israel. No, there's nothing like that. Only thing they did was went to cutting. It was just chop suey time. It was chop, 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 You a chop, you a chop, you a chop, everywhere. I'm sorry, I digress. It was a painful day. And every man experienced it at the same time. I want to suggest to you, I want to suggest to you seven quick things about this act that they do. Everybody's sore. They come in with their swords and kill every man. First thing I want to tell you about this thing there, their heinous behavior was seven things, seven things, was seven things. Number one, 
I want to suggest that it was inconsistent with their values. Inconsistent with their values. Inconsistent with their values. Because, <clears throat> and the inconsistency doesn't come in simply by the fact that they killed them. It comes in by how they got set them up. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. It was inconsistent with their values. It was inconsistent. You, you, you are supposed to be a man of integrity. You're supposed to deal and talk to people with integrity. You were making a, an agreement with someone. You said, I agree to do this. You agree to do that. It's an agreement. We're walking together in this agreement. Then, then, then you function in that agreement. To do otherwise is inconsistent with your values. If I give you my word and I say, this is what I, you, if you do this, then I'll do that. If I do otherwise, it's inconsistent with my values. Not what your values are, what my values are. Because for me, word is bond. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And if I don't do it, then I've lied. And lying is wrong. So by lying to them, it's inconsistent with their values. You can't change that and say the act was, was, was needed and worthy. No, no, no. The act, the whole situation is inconsistent with their values. Because someone else is wicked doesn't mean you get the right to be wicked. Because someone else does evil doesn't mean you get the right to do evil. That, because someone else, you, you know, if we ascribe by the Hammurabi Code, and I have one eye, two for a tooth, everybody would be blind, everybody would be snagged tooth. You got to realize that what you say has to have credibility. So I say it was inconsistent with their values. Number two, number two, I say it was an irrational view. An irrational view. One man's sins shouldn't condemn everyone. One man's sins shouldn't condemn everyone. I, I don't, you know, look. Shechem is the one that did it. If you wanted to go cut Shechem's throat, I understand. But you now have gone after every man that had nothing to do with it. They didn't, they didn't tell him to do it. They weren't there cheering him on. It wasn't a rape party. They weren't over there saying, you do it, yeah, go, go, go. Yeah, no. Now, in that case, everybody's guilty. No, they were nowhere around. This man decided to be a rapist. And that man should have been punished for his sins. He decided to do it. He decided to violate that woman. And he should have been punished. So, and, and there are people like that who will, who will uh, just go crazy when someone does something. You know, uh, uh, Wendy Williams, my, my daughter, uh, my, my son, who showed me uh, Wendy Williams' response to Britney Spears' parents and the, how they had treated her during the time of the, the fact that they had put her in this conservatorship and have uh, withheld her money from her and taken complete control of her life for all of these years. And it has been an exceedingly long time. And it really almost seems un-American the way she has been treated. Uh, but, but in any case, Wendy Williams, when she heard about it, her response was that, that she had liked Mr. and Mrs. Spears. But now she wanted to say, death to all of them. 
Death to Whoa, whoa, whoa. Death to everyone. What's that other one? Dishonor to them all. Dishonor to you. And, and yes, you have to be careful to make the punishment meet crime. He did it. He should be punished. It's irrational to take one man's sin and condemn everyone. Number three, number three. It's immoral vice. Immoral vice. Immoral vice. You, you, you have to realize that the way in which they do this is immoral. They come in, and while they are sore, and, and, and you know, particularly in their male members. Now, any man who's ever been hit with a basketball, who's ever been hit with a baseball, who's ever been kneed in the private, will tell you that you think you're gonna die. At least for 30 seconds, you see stars, you see Jesus, the planets move. I promise you this, you, you don't, ladies, you, you have childbirth, but boy, we have something else when that happens. That's why they tell you if you're being violated to, to take out the private, because man, I don't care how big he is, he could be as big as a giant. He could look like Shaq. You hit him there, he gonna crumble up like a little baby. He gonna be baby Shaq. Cause he gonna be crawled up on the floor in the fetal position. I don't care who he is. He could be the hawk and the hawk going down. I promise you. He could be Bruce Lee getting ready to go Wah! and kick. If you get, Wah! I'm having flashbacks. Shamala. Okay. I gotta go, I gotta go. I got so much to get in there tonight. Then. Number four, it's impertinent in its vehemence. It's impertinent. Rude. It demonstrated a lack of respect. You know, you are a guest at someone else's place. It's rude. You're a guest in the land. And it's rude. It, it's, and, and it sends a signal to everybody else around that you're not the kind of guest to let in. Because you get mad, you don't, you're going to turn everything out. You're going to turn it all out. It's rude. You're a guest. And what he does, what they do is they go in and begin to slay every man. But then it's ignoble, ignoble. And by that I simply mean it's, it's a low character move. It's mean, it's base, meaning seedy, undergr underground. It's conniving, it's conniving. You tell that man, you get circumcised, I'm gonna, you're gonna be a part of my family, I'm gonna be a part of yours. You marry my daughters, I marry your daughters, we're gonna be all It's conniving. You're slick. You're wicked. You're mean. You're slick. You're one step short from being just plain old evil.
You're personifying wickedness. It's ignoble. That's number five. Number six, and you can see I'm, I'm clocking through these rather quickly because I want to make these points because I'm going somewhere tonight. It's insensitive. It's insensitive. These two brothers, her full brothers, go in. They never considered how their actions would affect everyone else. If you kill them, what will happen to your household? What will happen to your family? What will happen to your children? What will happen to those around you? What will happen if the other communities decide, the other nations, groups decide to get together and come after you? you that's what's on Jacob's mind. Jacob is concerned of what's going to happen. Let's go back into the text before we conclude where we are today. Conclude this section. Verse 26. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword. And they took Dinah out of Shechem's house where she was staying. So apparently when they made the deal, they made the deal that left their daughter at the house of a rapist. So where was the protection for Dinah? Read closely into the text because in truth, it is not that they are so much concerned that their sister has been raped. It is that their pride, their maleness, their as, as brothers, as fathers, it is them, they feel like they have been offended. And that offends me because nobody is really standing up for her. They feel like they're the aggrieved party. You, you've now debased this woman. Her value is not what it could have been. The dowry or the bridal price cannot be the same. If anybody finds out that she's been devoured, no man will want to marry her. She's now, she's now spoiled goods. They're the ones. They let their sister go back over to that man's house that had raped her. There's nothing in the text that said they asked her, hey, baby girl, is this something you want? Will you want to be with this man? No, they sent her to the house. It's not a, if you remember the story of Laban, they at least asked her, is this somebody you want to go with? She said, yes. Let me help you here. You, you've got to understand here that in this text here, there's no agency for Dinah. Dinah is not treated with agency. As a matter of fact, they almost act as though she has set up her own problem. That's what makes it a text of terror. That's what makes it a text of terror. It is the male patriarchy that, that writes this text and that almost acts as though the female in the text is insignificant. That her part in life is insignificant. And that her value to her family was in bringing in a dowry as though her father was not already wealthy. So not only did they leave her there where she had stayed, they took her and they left. Then Jacob's other sons came upon those who were killed and looted the town because their sister had been defiled and grace, disgraced. So the first two brothers go through killing, shoop, shoop, 
shoot. Now, if you ever want a silent weapon, a sword is silent. Ain't no gun blast, ain't no big explosion. You walk in, chop somebody's neck off, nobody hear. Put a spear in somebody's heart, nobody hear it. So you go from tent to tent, house to house. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Don't, don't fool around, catch the family sleep, children quiet, boop, boop. By the time they wake up and find out, you already gone, you at the next house. They went through and killed everybody. And then they started the looting. Then they started the looting. Verse 28, they took the Canaanites' flocks and their herds and their donkeys and whatever was in the city in the, and in the field. They took everything. They looted all their wealth. And then on top of that, to make matters worse, they took captive all their children and their wives, even everything that was in the houses. So which means they took the children, the wives, when it says even everything in the house, if they had a maid, if they had somebody working up with them, they took them too. They took everybody. Lottie, Dottie, everybody. They took, they, they took everything. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have ruined me. Now wait a minute. It would appear if you really cared about Dinah, you would ask, how have you honored your sister with this? How's your sister feeling? How's she doing? You left her down there for at least three days we know of. We don't know how long it took for them to go down the verses I didn't read when they were meeting with the town and talking to them about doing this. We don't know how long that lasted. We know the three days that they got sore. We don't know how long it lasted. So she was there a minimum of three days and maybe weeks. No, there's no talk about that. Jacob's conversation and his correction to his son comes in the form of you've ruined me. You're making me a stench in the inhabitants, to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. He said, then, then, he, then he's looking all at himself. My men are few in number, and the men of the land will band together against me and attack me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my household. All he's talking about is me, 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 me. Shut up! He's got a point, but it's not time now. He wants them to understand what they've done, but it's not time now. They've done something that has escalated a situation, and it could be problematic. And here's their response. But they said, should he be permitted to treat our sister as a prostitute? End of story, we're done. I said it was insensitive. No concern about what's happened. But last thing I wanna say about what they did, it was incorrigible. It was incorrigible. It could not be corrected. Not to be corrected. That's what incorrigible means, usually referring to a person. But I use this word now to talk about the situation as being incorrigible, as in not to be corrected. You can't fix what they did. 
You can't bring them back. You can't bring back the dead. So, this is a rough text. This is a rough text. So where can we find something of value at? It comes up in chapter 35, which I'll deal with next week, but I'll give you a hint where I'm going next week. I want to give you just briefly, and I tell you, I'm coming back to this next week, so don't worry, I'll tighten it all up and make it all make sense. But I want to give you a few lessons from the bottom of Jacob's despair. A few lessons from the bottom of Jacob's despair. Lesson number one you want to grab hold of, and I don't have this number, there's number one, two, three. I just want to throw some nuggets at you. The first lesson you want to get is the heinous act of the sons did not cancel the promise and purpose placed on the life of God's servant. The heinous acts of the sons did not cancel the promise and purpose placed on the life of God's servant. Yeah, that's a heinous act. But it didn't cancel what was on Jacob's life. And that's important to see. As, as, as wicked, and, and this is my terminology for it, and I'm going to give you a different perspective in a moment. As wicked as I may perceive it to be, as wicked as God perceives it to be, it didn't cancel what God was doing with Jacob. God, God still had a plan. God was still there. God was still looking out. And that's important because those of you who have had children to do things that were out of, out of bounds, relatives to commit uh, acts of, of violence or sin uh, and, and, and done things wrong and your embarrassment by what they've done. And, and you know, because the Bible says good names to be treasured and they've, they've ruined your good name. They've ruined the good name of the family. Your family name is everywhere on the signboard. You know, here, here's the good news. Here's the good news. Their moral ethical failure did not diminish God's relationship with Jacob. That's good news. It didn't diminish God's relationship with Jacob. It didn't diminish it. Yeah, they, they, they were morally corrupt. They failed. They were ethically corrupt. They failed. But God's relationship with Jacob God's relationship, even with this family, is still intact. God does not leave them. Matter of fact, if I, if I, if I shoot down uh, and, and just pull up uh, verse 1 of chapter 35, it says, Then God said to Jacob. In other words, after chapter 34 comes chapter 35, and the first few verses of chapter, 30, of chapter 35 start out with, Then God said to Jacob. Go up to Bethel and live there and make an altar to, there to God. Wait a minute. You mean that after all that just happened, the first thing God says is, God does, is God speaks to Jacob? Yep. Because God didn't leave Jacob just because those boys acted a fool. 
let, let me, I want to bless you one more time. This is going to be helpful to some, some parent right now. It's going to be helpful to some cousin, some relative, somebody who's got somebody in your family who still needs to be delivered and is being delivered. You, know, you have to know this. You have to get this in your heart. You are not responsible for the failure of those you nurture. You are not responsible for the failure of those you nurture. And that's an important word. That's an important word. You're not, you're not responsible for it. You can, you can train a child in the way he should go. And the Bible says when he's old, he will not depart. In other words, at some point, they're coming back around. They're going to get saved. They're going to give their life to God. But, but you're not responsible for what they do in the meantime. You're not responsible for the mistakes they make. You're, you can be like the father of the prodigal son. Your son can go off and live in a pig pen if he wants to. You just be ready to take him back in when he gets out and realize that eating hog slop is not as good as being at the king's table. Don't, don't be ashamed. Don't let folk make you put your head down. You, you walking around feeling all bad because somebody in your family done messed up. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Don't you let their mistake cause you to stop living. Don't let their life cause you to stop being who you are in God. Well, how am I going to go preach now after my child did this? And the point is, they got children too, they know. Well, how am I going to preach now after my spouse did this? And your point is, people, you're not responsible for what anybody else does. All you can do is lead, teach, preach, try to act right, try to help them get where they're supposed to be in God, try to lead them along. Let me tell you something. I'm glad God doesn't take that responsibility on. I don't worry about it. Look, God got a whole lot of bad children out here. Matter of fact, somebody listening to me right now might say, here's one. <laughs> you want. Here's a good word. Here's a good word. I, I'm just I'm just dropping I'm dropping pearls of wisdom now. Hope y'all are getting it. This is the text lends them to me and I'm just dropping them at you. Watch this now. Depravity is not limited to the house of the wicked. Depravity is not limited to the house of the wicked. Teach Watts. I don't care if you speak in tongues every day. I don't care if you run down the aisle. I don't care if you got the Holy Ghost. If you hook them in the side, come on a Honda or ride a Holly Davidson. Depravity is not limited to the house of the wicked. You got to realize that. That's a part of life's journey. Stuff happens. You know, T.D. Jakes is one of America's bishops, as, as someone once described him the other day. I, I heard him say, T.D. Jakes, American bishop. And T.D. And Jakes had, had some issues in his children. As a matter of fact, they've written about it. His daughter will confess all the time that she got pregnant really early as a teenager. And it's a part of her great testimony now of how God redeemed her, brought her back, and now she's preaching and teaching all over the world. That, hey, listen, listen. Stuff happens. 
Now you'd have put your head down. Next time we'd have saw you in the grocery store, you wouldn't have made eye contact with us. You'd have been walking around. You, you'd have come in church, sat in the balcony, the last pew, and just before the benediction, you'd have snuck out with your one finger Baptist up and went out the back door and slid down the stairs, acting like, oh, I don't want nobody to see me because I'm going through something. Shut up! The enemy is taking that which happens to you and messing with your head. Like God done abandoned you because you got some issues. Let me just, here, here I'm going to bless somebody right now. This is a one, you better get this and write this one down. Somebody, please, Sister Candy, Sister Dolores, somebody, somebody write this down. Saints have sinner problems. Somebody write that down. Saints have sinner problems. Preach Watts. And if I was completely honest with you, I would tell you the truth. Not only do we have sinner problems outside of ourselves, meaning to others that are in contact with us, but saints are sinners too. Because we mess up. I think the most um, self-revealing song and the most true song that's ever been written has to be Donnie McClurkin's We Fall Down, But We Get Up. Now, it's taken directly out of the scripture. But those words put to lyric and music are powerful because even saints have days where they're not at their best in their saintliness. I'm going to say some things in a minute that might blow your mind, so stay with me because I'm rocking on a, a hard road right now. This is probably going to be one of the best. You got to stay with me tonight. This is good stuff tonight. Here's, here's one you got to get. Here's one you got to get. Take this home. There is no cancel culture with God. There is no cancel culture with God. God does not cancel us because we make mistakes or because those we love make mistakes or because things go wrong. There is no cancel culture with God. I know y'all will say I'm through with you. And if I'm through with you, I'm showing up through with you. When I'm through with you, I'm, shooting, I'm, I'm just, I'm through with them. I'm through, I'm through. Yeah, not, matter of fact, you're dead to me, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Don't, don't show your face in this house again. You're dead to me. Ah, oh, shut up. All the mistakes you made that God has covered up for you, if half your sins were known by folk, they wouldn't be able to hang around you no more. If folk knew half of the dirty deeds you done done that nobody ever found out about, you wouldn't be able to come around no more. You just going to act like you have been holy all your life. You ain't never sinned. You just shut up. I, Lord, I'm free from sin and sin. And shut up, you're lying. You just, you just sin, just then you're lying. What would you say, kids? Liar, liar, pants on fire. Let me tell you something. There's no cancel culture with God. Stop 
canceling people. It's demonic. It jumps in your spirit right away. The first thing you want to do, somebody does to you, something to you, I ain't talking to them no more. I ain't gonna be around no more. We can't be friends no more. We'll never talk again. The devil is a liar. Stop canceling people. Stop canceling folks. You don't want to be canceled. Don't cancel other people. You don't want to be talked to rude. Don't be rude to other people. You don't want people to throw you away. You want a second chance. Give a second chance. You know, some of us, God has taken our sins and he's covered them. And we ought to thank God for the covering. But just because your sins are covered don't mean you get the right to talk about somebody else's sin that was uncovered. Whew. Preach Watts. I'm running out of time, y'all. I got to hurry up. I ain't going to get to my last points. I'm going to have to save them for next week. Listen, listen, listen. When those brothers go in there, they go in there as an act of vengeance. They go in there to, to, to take retribution for their sister being, being molested, being raped, being abused. But vengeance is not an excuse for moral depravity. Vengeance is not an excuse for moral depravity. Not an excuse. I'm going to stop in just a, just a second here. There, there are two pieces I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave the third thing uh, on my last three points out. I'm going to leave the third one off. So Solomon just know that I'm, what I'm going to do uh, here. So two pieces I want to leave, and I've only got a couple minutes left to do it. So let me give you the first piece here. If I were going to put this in a bite-sized chunk, the first of which that I've just said to you is that promises are not canceled. I've talked enough about it. Promises are not canceled. Just because you mess up doesn't mean that God knocks away every promise he's given up. Uh, it may not be able to be the way he wanted it to be. It may be changed, altered, fixed. It may be different because of whatever it is that is taking place, but promises are not canceled. Number two, and this is where I want to leave you with, is people are complex. People are complex. This text is complex. People are not one-dimensional. And so when you look at a situation and you look at it one-dimensionally, you can see one thing. But if you look at it in its broadness and in the depth that is there, you'll see something entirely different and something that might get your attention. See, when you read this text as a Christian, you may read it one way. But if you read it as a Jew, you might read it another way. What do you mean, Reverend? See, as a Christian, I'm reading it from its moral, ethical implications. But as a Jewish person, I might read this again as God allowing this to be so because God really did not want intermarriage between the Canaanites 
Parasites, Jebusites or Havites, and the Jewish people. So as a Jewish interpretation, they might take this text and say, look, this is rock solid evidence. If God allowed two men to go in and slay an entire city, then what God was doing is they were acting on behalf of God in slaying them and God was trying to tell them that you're not supposed to intermarry. Not the way I'd read it, but it may be the way somebody reads it. You see, and, and I'll come back to this next week because I'm almost done. I got to stop and I'll come back to it. We're pushing to chapter 35 next week, but, but watch this. I'm going to really mess with you. The Jewish interpretation of this text may surprise you. The Jewish interpretation of this text may surprise you. Great, thank you very much. So, I'm gonna close here on a scripture that's gonna mess with you to think about as I come back next week and deal again with this text of terror in conjunction with chapter 35 I've only got a couple minutes left, so let me just drop these nuggets on you, and I'm done for the night. I know this has been deep. I hope we got something out of it, because I've, I've been having a great time trying to offer it to you. This is part of the complexity of examining the text, and we're now into the, examining it from what may be a Jewish perspective. What one has to do when one reads this text is see how it has been interpreted over the years by the Jewish people and even how it was interpreted during biblical antiquity by those same people. So, if I were to look at this text and to pay it close attention, I would go back and I would ask myself about this text in the context of what did the Deuteronomic words about this? What were those words to us? And what are the words of Moses later on? So, open up your Bibles real quick to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. I'm not going to get to this other thing I want to get to. Ooh, I want to get there bad, but I'll save it for next week. But Deuteronomy chapter 7, 1 through 5, tells us something about how this text got carried over into the laws and the world, the will that would come forth and would be taught to the Jewish people. Verse, verse, chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, and the Gerasites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them and you shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cast down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. Why is that powerful? Because the first thing that happens to, that Jacob does after he speaks to God is he gets rid of the idols 
that they are carrying with them from other gods. I left you with a cliffhanger, y'all. I'm coming back next week. We got work to do. This text is deep. I'm going to take you a little deeper, and hopefully you'll get something out of it. Come on back. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. And I hope you will also be able to say, thanks be to God. I'll come back and hit it next week. Come on, join me. Come on, wherever you are, you give God a praise for the word in your home. And I hope you keep studying with us each and every week. You know, I know this is a difficult word to receive, but maybe somebody heard this word today and said, look, I want to be a part of that church, part of that ministry. If that was you right then, I want you to call me, email me, say, I want to be an I member of this church. The phone number is listed. The email address is there. The deacons will get right back to you. We will connect with you and connect your faith to our faith, and you can be a part of this fellowship, and we will lead you to Christ. If that's your need and whatever you need, we want to be here to be partners with you in ministry. Get in touch with me right away. Well, saints, I love you. This has been another great Bible study. I'll see all of you or talk to all of you online tomorrow at 1 o'clock sharp. I'll be on there for prayer. Let's go before the Lord in prayer and be with God in a special way. As you're praying tonight, please pray, especially for Deaconess Daniels. As most of you know, she's going home on Saturday. Uh, Deacon Lucas called the ambulance for her today to take her back to the hospital. So please keep her in your prayers. We need you to hold on to the horns of the altar for our dear Deaconess. Again, we're praying for each one of you. We're praying for, for you. We recognize that you're going through. Please, brothers and sisters, keep in your prayers the family of Sister Happy Johnson, who will be funeralized tomorrow. And please keep in your prayers the family of Sister Brenda Thomas, Sister Brenda Thomas, a wonderful woman who was so faithful before the pandemic, would come in every Sunday and sit down. I can almost see her in that aisle seat right now, come down there uh, with a cane in hand and make her way to her seat. Please keep uh, her family in your prayer. She made her transition, went on be with the Lord, and I ask that you remember that family, the Thomas family, in your prayers. Well, I love you all with the love of the Lord. I want to say a special special, special happy birthday to my baby sister, Gloria. Today is her birthday. Uh, and she don't mind me telling because she tells it anyway. She's 58 years old today. She's getting to be an old woman. <laughs> God bless her. Your brother loves you. Your family loves you. Happy birthday to you on this, the 20th day of July. I love each one of you, the love of the Lord. You won't change my mind, nothing you can do about it. Keep praying for each other. I know there are many names I didn't mention, but keep praying. Again, like Sister Candy said, until we meet again, Shiloh family, you know what this has been. This has been another one for Jesus. Hey, oh, real quick before I close out, we have three job openings right now. If you know anybody need a job, we have job opening in the preschool for a preschool teacher. We have two janitorial positions for immediate uh, uh, occupancy for those jobs coming up right away. We pay very well for our janitors. So we have janitorial position both on the church side and the family life center side coming open. So if you're looking for a job, I want to tell you, get on, join with us in those job market. Y'all know what to do. Benevolence giving is tonight. Whatever you give tonight goes to the diaconate to do the gifts of the work of God. So you can give by Givelify Cash App or by mail. Get your benevolent gifts in. Amen. 
Amen. I want to make sure you do that. Hey, and those of you that shop on Amazon, if you use Amazon, use the Amazon gift thing. And uh, don't forget, put the Shiloh Development Corp in. So what a little dividend will go to the Development Corporation for the work we do on that side over there when you're using Amazon. All right? I love you all. This has been another one for Jesus. You know what I say. It's a one-word benediction. The benedictus is simply this. Shalom.